listening to the Long Overdue Podcast, brought to you from the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. And today, we have me, Denise, and Brandon. Hello, hello. And Dawn. Good morning. I mean, hello. <laughs> and good afternoon and evening. What is the truth? Uh, Whenever you're listening, hello. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie with, who's the guy? Jim Carrey? Oh, uh, the Truman Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that is Jim Carrey. Good morning, I was good totally good thinking good Robin Williams and Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> thinking. I was like, what are we talking about? <laughs> 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 that's exactly what my brain went. <laughs> so, yeah. And Justin. Hi. Um, Denise told me I have to put in an obligatory um, warning that I cannot speak French or pronounce it. I'm going to try, so have fun with that. Yeah, so we were going to be talking about a little historical figure. Yes, all right, so I'm going to try to say his name. Gilbert Dumontier, Marquis de Lafayette. Oh my goodness. Okay. And, in, and in English? If he had been <laughs> English, his name would have been Gilbert. Gilbert. But in French, it's Gilbert. Okay. Okay. Oh. So... Motier is his family name. Marquis de Lafayette is his title. So this is Lafayette. Lafayette. Okay. Yes. Americans know him as Lafayette. Only. But that's that's his title. Yes. So what does Lafayette mean then? Okay. So I look. It apparently means something like birchwood or birch tree, because assumedly at some point way back in medieval times, his ancestors lived near like a birch forest or something. So what does Marquis mean? Okay, a marquis originally meant you were a noble who was in charge of, like, what they called a march, which is, like, a border area mm-hmm. or a buffer area, kind of. By his mm-hmm. time, it was just, like, this inherited title. And you had this kind of strict hierarchy of nobles. You have the king at the very top, then dukes, then the marquis. So he's pretty high up title-wise. So he wasn't just a, like, in American terms, like a general of an army or anything. He was actually part of the family. Yes. The yes. Family. Okay, he's what's called a sword noble, which means he could trace his ancestry to medieval knights who had been given, you know, they, they were vassals of the king at some point. Um, his family became nobles because one of them had been a crusader. So the king had knighted him. Hmm. And he actually had two ancestors, like I found out about, that were crusaders. One of them supposedly, like in the Holy Land, found the actual crown of thorns of Jesus. Really? Supposedly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> crusaders were always finding, like, stuff. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. That they were like, this belonged to Jesus. Yes. Okay. Got it. And like most, like a lot of his male ancestors are named Gilbert, like <laughs> over and over. This is like the family, like it's either named like Gilbert or Stephen in this family. Yeah. If you're agreed. So are there juniors and the third and the fourth and all that? Okay, well, they, they, <laughs> they, a lot of them have like, like he actually has a lot of names that I'm not even pronounce. They're like, okay. how many different names can we give you? But Gilbert's the one he most liked of all his names. Okay, interesting. He he also had an ancestor who fought alongside Joan of Arc, like defending France from the English. 
we had a female ancestor, Madame de Lafayette, who wrote the first psychological novel, which is also considered one of the first historical novels. Okay, I feel like this is the time that I need to um, break in and say, this podcast is all about Justin in a good way because <laughs> he is our history person. Did you have a degree in history? Yes. Okay. Degree in history <laughs> and then your MLS. Okay. So the rest of us know nothing about this. So that's why we're asking so many questions. Mm-hmm. So if we derail you from your goal of what you really want to tell us, let us know. But I love the fact that we're asking these questions and you're just rattling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And- so, well, and I, I came into this with exactly looking up zero things about Lafayette. Me too. Okay. Zero. <laughs> so his family had been nobility for 595 years by the time of the revolution. Wow. Okay. So that, that's their old money. Definitely. <laughs> um, but by the time of modern times, the French king like, needs money. So if you're a commoner and you have money, you can just like, I want to be a noble and I'm going to buy it. And the old money people are like, we don't like this. Of course. <laughs> I still don't. Right. I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that's still the way that goes. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get closer to, okay. So I divided this into chapters. I gave most of them my own names. They're stupid and funny. So the first one, and, and see if y'all can catch my cultural references, is called I Never Knew My Father. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so if we didn't catch the cultural reference, you, you're going to have to explain the cultural reference. <laughs> That's from Finding Nemo. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so 1754 is when American history starts what's called the French and Indian War. And the first person who's like going to battle in this is a British officer named George Washington. Okay. And at this time, he's still considered British because, like, they're colonies. Mm-hmm. And they're fighting the French. And his troops, like, ambush and kill a bunch of French people. And very soon, this breaks into, like, the first global conflict, like, before the mm-hmm. World Wars. Mm-hmm. And so then it's called the Seven Years' War because, like, all these European empires, like, we're all going to freaking kill each other now. <laughs> so. One of the casualties is also named Gilbert de Motier, but it's his dad. So his dad gets blown to bits when he's just two years old. Oh. So you never know his father. Wait a minute. What? Okay, explain that again. Because if somebody di- if your father dies when he's two, or the kid was two when his father died. Yeah, the, like, the kid was two when his father died. How can you have kids died. when you're two and you die? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not where my brain well, is. When he's born, <laughs> when he's born, his dad's already off at war. This was also the olden times when people got started way earlier. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, I did know that, but that was a little, little early. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so it's in 1757 is when he's born. His mom's also, like, from a rich family. Mm-hmm. And her dad is the commander of the King's Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Like, all around, like, a pretty wealthy family. Mm-hmm. But the thing about, like, having a global war is it costs a lot of money. And it just about doubles the British debt. And it just about doubles the French debt. So their solution is taxation. So the need to pay for this war is, of course... At least the Americans being like, you know, we don't want taxation without representation. 
blah, 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 American Revolution. That's exactly how I talk about the American Revolution, too. <laughs> blah, 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 American that Revolution. pretty well lost over. <laughs> All right, so anyway, going back to our main character back in France. So then, when he's eight years old, he becomes a monster hunter. So between... Who, who becomes a monster hunter? Little eight-year-old Lafayette. And he is the Marquette Lafayette now because at two years old he inherits the title when his mm -hmm. dad gets blown to bits. This is fantastic. He has monsters. So he's in the United States now. And he's still, he's still, still in France. Still in France. He's just eight. He's on his family's rural estate. Okay. So, and I'm going to try to pronounce this the Beast of Gévaudan. Okay. It's like this French cryptid between summer of 1764 and June of 1767. It's blamed for killing a hundred people. Oh, the majority of the majority of because it's French <laughs> are adults. So there's a lot of debate about whether or not people were just panicking and making this up, or some uh -huh. kind of wolf dog hybrid. There's even one guy who's like maybe it was an escaped zoo lion. Wow. Anyway, they have zoos back Well, they're just starting to like, you know, have menage like important. Yeah. In the French Revolution, like, it didn't, Paris is actually one of the first, like, zoos. Anyway, well, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> There's, like, so, okay. Maybe good for him, he doesn't find it. <laughs> because, like, he's just eight. But he's already, like, you know, I'm the lord of the manor. It's my duty to go slay the monsters. Well, so, yeah. Um... I kind of wish he had found it because, you know, just like taken off its mask and left the Baron down the street. He's like a medicine kid, but that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So it's still just running around France? Yeah. Um, in, in 1767, someone shoots like a wolf or something and mm -hmm. claims they killed it, but oh. yeah, who knows? Yeah. There's actually like people over France killing wolves like crazy all during this. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> it's not good for the wolves no. when this happens. All right. So when his dad had died, his mom had gone to live with her dad in Paris, and he's just been raised all this time by his grandmother. And at age 10, his mom's like, okay, come move to Paris with, with me and your granddad. And he's enrolled to study to become a musketeer because like his granddad's the commander of all them so it's mm -hmm. like a legacy oh so it wasn't just the three musketeers <laughs> <laughs> there were more yes apparently like <laughs> you can become one really young because he gets his commission when he's just 13 wow <laughs> i mean okay sometimes i wish i were like living back then 13 and you're like in charge of the world well not <laughs> yeah. well that sounds great except for when he's 12 both his mom and his granddad die so he's an orphan musketeer okay yeah so anyway so then this like nice duke comes along. He's like, hey, why don't you come move in with me at Versailles? And Versailles is really like, <gasps> at Versailles. At Versailles. <laughs> so he's literally like next door to the king. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, this Duke seems really nice, and he's going to pay for my education, and I get to go to the academy with all these royalty. And like two years later, he finds out why the Duke wanted him to come move in. Oh, like, this is sounding very suspicious. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's like, by the way, you and my daughter are engaged. Oh, <laughs> well, that's better than what I thought was. I know that's what I'm. <laughs> this is new. This is news way. to him and to her. Okay. So did they married. like each other? Did they like each other, or does it say? Well, he's sixteen and she's fourteen. Okay. So they get married, but the parents are like, "Y'all have to stay virgins until you're adults," and they don't. So I think they don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good clue. So, I mean, like, you know, if you have the guy move into your house and marry your daughter, uh-huh. what are you thinking is going to happen? Right. And she does get pregnant but anyway. So, see, we knew they started down Anyway, so you can probably figure out the dad in laws looking at him thinking, You're young and you have a lot of money and I can control you. Mm-hmm. And like that doesn't go as he plans. Okay, <laughs> I'm picking up a good thing. Mm-hmm. All right, so around the same time, 1775, Washington is appointed general over America. And uh, the same year, like, Lafayette goes up to this garrison. And it's a peacetime garrison. So he's not actually seeing any fighting when he's just, like, you know, kid. But he thinks he's hot stuff going up to the garrison. And he meets this officer who's like, you should come to dinner. And he meets the brother of King George of England the Americans are rebelling against. Hmm. But it turns out this guy hates his brother. <laughs> okay. So he's all like, the American Revolution's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and this French officer's like, yeah, the American Revolution's cool. And Lafayette's just like, wow, this sounds like awesome. He's impressed by this. Uh-huh. And he's too naive to realize like these people have ulterior motives. And this French officer is actually like a member of like French intelligence, but it's this crazy conspiracy that if he sends enough French officers over to join the American cause, the Americans will replace Washington with him. Interesting. Which is crazy and never actually works, but Lafayette remains totally oblivious while that's going on. I just think that's fascinating because it seems like there were so many conspiracies going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just in the movies, but like, there are all through his life. There's a lot of conspiracies. Like he's a kid with a lot of money, and people think he's naive. Yeah, but <laughs> nowadays it's like I don't know. Like, I know some people still <laughs> fall for that stuff. Anyway, go ahead. Nowadays the conspiracies are really crazy. This was just kind of like you know maybe if I send over a bunch of people to fight in this war, they'll uh-huh. think I'm cool. This guy's a French nobleman, so he thinks the Americans will be impressed. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can have a French noble leading you, and, like... Yeah, it's not... Totally not understanding... It's not like a conspiracy today where it's, like, Washington's totally a lizard man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. All right, so he gets promoted to captain at 18. So he's now actually an adult. He's like, yes, I finally get to be a real officer, you know, like... I'm a real boy now kind of moment. <laughs> and he's all excited. And in the very next year, the French army undergoes a reform saying, hey, you know what? Nepotism sucks. 
So he gets down to the reserves, and he's like, ah. <laughs> you know, I'm finally <laughs> old enough to go, like, be an officer, and now I'm like, he didn't really want nepotism, he just, he wanted to go be a man. So, too bad there's not a war he could go be in. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets another guy who's not honest, named Silas Steen, who's from America. And pretends that he has the authority to recruit people as officers oh. in the American yeah. Army. Yeah. And he's like, if you join the Army, you will get to be a major general. He doesn't actually have authority from Congress to do this. What, so what would be the benefit for him to uh, get this guy to go over there? He really, okay, he, he, has, he is employed by Congress. And he is trying to get support for the American War. Mm-hmm. He's just... Basically, way exceeding his mandate and getting creative. Okay, because he's really trying to get people over there. And <laughs> yeah, like, Congress yeah. is like, go get supplies, and he's like, I'm going to pass out generalships. Okay. But he doesn't have authority to do that. He's just trying to like get you to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Well, the good thing is Lafayette has enough money that he can buy his own ship because he's stinking rich. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not getting on that ship. I'm gonna go by my own. Does he take his wife? No. Okay, and this is like one of the first thing he does that pisses me off. His dad's his dad in law sends him on vacation to England. He actually meets the king of England and he just disappears. Goes AWOL. And his wife doesn't know he's going. So he never tells her. She has to find out the hard way. Okay. It's like that kind of is like not I'm like mm, that's kind of crappy but yeah <laughs> okay so but you know his dad-in-law figures out what he's trying to do and he like his dad-in-law is a powerful dude he convinces the king to, like issue a decree saying French officers cannot go join the American cause and I quote notably Monsieur Le Marquis de Lafayette it's like he like calls it out like this like you know like this teenager by name like you can't go by order of the king. Well, yeah, he goes anyway <laughs> on the ship he bought, and but mind you, like the Americans don't know he's coming because this recruiter kind of swindled him. Mm-hmm. So he gets there and he meets John Hancock, who's the president, mm-hmm. and this is like the president of Congress because you don't have like the Constitution president yet. Okay. And he's like, hi, I'm this French kid, and I'm here to be an officer. And he's like, go away, kid, you're bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's just kind of getting brushed off, and they literally find a member of Congress who's a school teacher who knows how to speak French, but tell him in French, like, go away, you're bothering us. <laughs> <laughs> and they all just think he's like, because they're literally being swarmed with all these, like, French kids pretending to be nobles who are just oh, looking for a job. Got it. Then they find out he actually has money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he rolls up on his own, in his own ship. <laughs> and he's willing to serve for free. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's like, on one condition, he wants to serve directly under Washington. It's like, okay, you can do dinner with a guy. Now they're both, okay, man, I'm, don't want to get into conspiracy territory here, but like I know y'all gonna jump on this. They're both Freemasons. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of modern conspiracy theories about that. Uh-huh. Yes. But anyway, needless to say, like Washington 
It's kind of like, you know, hey, how are you doing? They get on kind of well. The next part, okay, here comes my next quote. I don't have friends. I got family. <laughs> All right. That's what? from Fast and the Furious. Okay. And Diesel. Okay. <laughs> so Washington didn't have any sons, and he would call all his young aides his family and his sons. Oh. And here's his orphan, and he's like, he like imprints on him like a freaking duckling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and takes this very literally. Uh-huh. And he writes home to his disappearing father-in-law, like, I'm friends with the Washingtons. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and his father-in-law's going, uh, big deal. <laughs> I know. His father-in-law is actually impressed. Oh. And now he goes around telling everyone it was my idea for him to go over there. Oh. (laughs) So, mm, now he's got two daddies that like him. (laughs) So, like, like, I mean, remember, he's just like 19. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Like, during all of this. And Congress is like, okay, we'll make you a major general. But they don't actually give him, like, any troops to command because he's freaking 19. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. So, okay. (laughs) I just, I don't know, the first part of this is kind of funny because really it's just kind of like this kid just thinking about this grand adventure. Yeah. And he's like, man, Americans are great. They're all friends. And that's not Uh, really true. it at first. Okay. <laughs> well, so people don't maybe take him too seriously until 1777 and Washington loses the Battle Brandywine Bridge and Philadelphia is where Congress is meeting. The British are trying to invade it mm-hmm. and they go to Brandywine Bridge and kind of hall and like they just get like overrun and they're in a treat and the Americans are in train they're all running and Lafayette's like, y'all gotta stop and hold this bridge until Washington and the other guys get across. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact he gets like shot through the leg, there's like blood coming out of his boot, and he's just like, nope, we're gonna hold this bridge. Wow. So Washington tells his personal doctor, like, you treat that guy like he's my kid, mm-hmm. and he commends him for bravery. And so now people are taking him seriously. Meanwhile, back in France, his wife hears this rumor that he got shot and died. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is like, this is before the telegraph or the telephone. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, you get delayed news. You don't know what's true. And meanwhile, he has no idea that her, their daughter, who's not two, dies. Aww. And he doesn't learn this for a long time either. Because, mm-hmm. like, news travels really slow. So Washington's like, okay, you can have this command. He goes out, defeats a bunch of mercenaries. He's feeling like he's big stuff now. Mm-hmm. And Washington's like, okay, you can have a whole division. So he's actually like not just a general in name. And then comes like the winter at Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. And they're starving. And okay, so Washington's other young aides in the family. Mm-hmm. become like his besties Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence and like Hamilton's son will later describe them as the three musketeers of the revolution Interesting. and if y'all have ever seen okay I don't think any of y'all have yet in the like musical Hamilton like they have like a lot of numbers together hmm. 
So no one knows exactly how Lafayette becomes an abolitionist, but some people think it begins because John Lawrence, who's his buddy, is like a very diehard abolitionist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's very outspoken about it. Mm-hmm. And he comes up with a plan to free all the slaves in South Carolina. And the South Carolina legislature's like, yeah, no. And John Lawrence is like, he gets killed in a battle of the revolution. So he never becomes like a president or anything. Mm-hmm. And of course, Hamilton later on, after the revolution, dies in a duel. Spoiler if you've not seen the musical. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, like it happened. Like you've had hundreds of years to get unspoiled. <laughs> so, okay, so Congress keeps having this crazy idea that we can go up to Canada and Quebec will join us. And they're like, you know, they're French, kinda, and Lafayette's French, so they'll like him better. Okay. And he's like, okay, I'll go. And all the American troops are like, yeah, we don't want to go. <laughs> and he feels like he was set up to fail. So he's kind of ticked off. And Washington has to kind of like smooth his feathers. Uh-huh. Like, it's okay, kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, crap happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Yeah. And so people are kind of like, well, he's still French. And we could use allies. And here's these Native Americans, the Iroquois. And they don't really like us because we've been crappy to them. But they like the French. <laughs> it's like, hey, kid, aren't you going to be the ambassador to this meeting? And he goes there. And um, they do like him, but they're still really suspicious the Americans for having been crappy to them. Mm-hmm. But he does get at least 50 of them who are like, okay, we'll come help you out. And they do... 50 of them kind of join up with Valley Forge uh, under his command. So by now, you've kind of had, you always have in France, you have like these factions fighting like, we really hate the British, we should join the Americans, versus they're rebelling against a king, we have a king, and this would cost some money. Kind of jogging back and forth. Then mm-hmm. France finally signs a treaty with America. And they learn of it at Valley Forge, like, you know, much later, because the news travels quickly. And he's all excited, and he's kissing Washington on the cheek. And there's another letter in the mail telling him his daughter's died. So it's kind of like happy and sad all at the same time. Yeah. So, and this is when it turns out he's, he's, he's also during this period, it's a good thing. He made these friends with these Iroquois 50 men. Because he gets on this scouting expedition. And the British come to try to like capture him. And it's late at night. And according to his version of events, he was in a tent having a polite chat with a young lady. Mm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know what they were discussing. But thankfully his native allies were paying more attention. And like pulled off the British long enough for him to escape. So... Um, Washington's kind of like, he lets this go. <laughs> but anyway. And the reason the French were important in this war is because the Americans had troops, the French had artillery, and they had ships. So um, they send their fleet, but then it gets like destroyed in a storm when they're trying to do their first joint attack on, like, the British Island. 
and the British are like, our ships got like wasted. We gotta go to Boston for repairs. And the American general Sullivan is like, y'all are just abandoning us. And he like insults the honor of France. And Lafayette's like, <clears throat> he goes to Washington, he's like, I wanna go home. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's, I mean, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll champion the American cause. But he's also heard a rumor that the French are going to invade England. He's like, if they go there without me, I'm going to hang myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> he's like, again, he's still like a very young, angsty guy. Mm-hmm. And very melodramatic. And he goes back home, and it turns out there's never an invasion of Britain. So he's sitting there bored, and he starts missing his homies. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, he does befriend the ambassador to France from America, Ben Franklin. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I'm just gonna like read this and I want y'all to tell me what y'all think of this. So he gets sick, he writes to Washington this there's an exchange, which is interesting. And there's a standard passage where he says, I have a wife, my dear general, who is in love with you. An affection for you seems to me so justified I cannot oppose myself to that sentiment for her. And Washington writes back. Tell her if you have not made a mistake and offered your own love instead of hers to me, that I have a heart susceptible to the tenderest passion. But it is already so strongly impressed with these favorable ideas of her, she must be cautious of putting her love torch to it. So, there's a lot of argument about what this all means. Uh-huh. And like, if somebody here is in love with somebody else, uh-huh. there's endless argument on this. But, I mean, I guess who knows. Right. Washington seems to at least suspect that this is not just, like, for buddies, <laughs> based on his wording of that. Okay. So that very December, Lafayette's wife gives birth to a son, and guess what he names him? George. Washington. Just Washington. George Washington. Oh, both names. George Washington. Oh, my gosh. I make this very clear. <laughs> he also has a daughter. Who Thomas Jefferson persuades him to name Marie Antoinette Virginia. <laughs> Which I just, I don't know, I love that so much. <laughs> okay. So he's definitely an America stan, in case you didn't figure that out. So mm-hmm. He's at home, okay. and he goes back to America, and everyone's like, yay. Okay. So while that's happening. So did his wife go this time? Oh no, she never gets to go. Okay. Well, I just figured, you know, Washington was over there. And... Yeah, wow. He's like, I mean, you've got your family in France, your family in America, and they do eventually summon them. Okay. Okay, so while this all has happening, that war debt in France is catching up with them. But the finance minister cooks the books and publishes the finances as being in the green. And they're not. Of course. But the pu- he's a commoner, so the public is always convinced that his version is true. And then when the king's like, you need to raise taxes, they're like, how you're either lying or you screwed this up real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so meanwhile, Lafayette and the French and Washington finally defeat the British at Yorktown at 1781. And that's kind of the end of the fighting. And Lafayette's like, I'm going back home. 
And um, the Americans are really grateful. In 1783, North Carolina, they name a city Fayetteville. And oh. there are now like cities and counties all over the U.S. named like Fayetteville, Fayette County. I had no idea that that was the case. Yeah. Okay. Right. There's a lot. There's, Fayetteville. Yeah, I found like a map online. Like, there's tons. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, so now for something completely different. Reference. Brandon knows this one. Um, no, I don't. Monty Python. Oh, okay. A volcano erupts. <laughs> that is completely different. <laughs> that is completely different. In Iceland. And this is relevant because? Because it releases 120 million tons of sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere that blocks light, makes the sun turn red, and there's a fog all over North America and Europe, and it completely changes the climate, causing crop failures for decades. So this, this does seem relevant. Okay. Yeah, people like I me, mean, like, when there's famine in Europe, usually people are like, hey, king, make sure we have bread. And the king's finance minister is part of this new faction that believes in laissez-faire, where the king does not interfere and just let the market control itself. So this leads to price gouging. <laughs> it's maybe not the best time to start laissez-faire all of a sudden, right in the middle of like, this famine. So this starts another conspiracy called the Famine Pact, where the French peasants are convinced that the nobles are in cahoots to deliberately freaking starve them into submission. And this never really goes away for a long time. <laughs> okay, so by the way, people even back then suspected the volcano and all this is related. Ben Franklin mentions, like, he's like, some people think it's this volcano in Iceland. So I thought that was kind of interesting, like, mm-hmm. you are kind of getting into a more scientific era, and Franklin, of course, was interested in that kind of crud. <laughs> um, I mean, I know he, like, does the key thing, but I don't think he ever, like, tries to, like, go jump into a volcano or anything like that. Like, I want to <laughs> see if this is true, but, you know, right. he could do a podcast on him, because he's, he's also fun. So this leads to the longest winter in all North America. The Chesapeake Bay freezes over. And all these delegates are, like, struggling through the snow, trying to get Annapolis to sign the Treaty of Peace with Britain. They eventually do get there, and they sign it, and the war's officially over. Well, guess what? The French debt has again gone up, like, because they spent all this money on the American War. This is partially helping us that leads to their revolution debt. It causes them to all, like, so, I mean, I guess that's our bad. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, sorry we cost the money. But to be fair, they had their own reasons to fight that war. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like they're being nice. And Lafayette comes back to give a tour in 84 of the United States. And last time he, searched, he sees George Washington alive. And he's granted citizenship by Maryland, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Virginia. And so he will claim that this makes him a U.S. citizen. Despite that, in 2002, the U.S. Congress still gives him honorary citizenship. And this is after 9-11, and the reason given is they're trying to promote international cooperation against terrorism. So he, that citizenship didn't carry over then 
in, in until 2002. I mean, they in the, those those states had all done it, and his view was that since the Constitution says natural born citizens of states were citizens, mm-hmm. and these states had said we're making you a natural citizen. In his mind, he's like, I'm definitely. Okay. I'm not a constitutional scholar to like argue this point. Uh huh. Okay. But it was still like a good PR move after 9-11 that people weren't going to pass up. Like, yeah. and there's a political reason for that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So anyway, one way or another, he there's I think there's only like eight honorary U.S. citizens. Like Mother Teresa, Winston Churchill. It's like a very august list. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So. Um, at some point between 81 and 83, he does become an abolitionist. One possible reason is right at the end of the war, there's a slave who is named um, Armistead, who serves, his master gives him permission to go serve as a spy under Lafayette. He goes and infiltrates Cornwallis's camp and Benedict Arnold's camp, who's you know, a traitor at the time. Mm-hmm. And later on in um, after the war, Armistead like goes to the Virginia legislatures. He says, "I want to be free, and I have a testimonial from Lafayette." And a few years later, they're like, "Okay, you're free," and he changes his name, his last name to Lafayette. So some people think that friendship is part of what maybe changed his mind. But all we know is by '83, he's writing to Washington saying, "Hey, I've got this great plan." where we can start people freeing slaves in both the French Empire and America. Washington's like, you're such a nice guy. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and um, Washington never really gets on board with that. But Lafayette takes this seriously and actually buys a plantation in French Guiana, you know, in Latin America, and like um, starts training the slaves there to become free farmers. He actually invests in this, and I thought it was interesting, during the French Revolution, because he's busy doing French Revolution things, mm-hmm. his wife actually manages this project. Mm-hmm. So he actually does, like, put his money where his mouth does. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know, I kind of think, like, I think he kind of projected onto Washington that he wanted to do this, because, like, I don't know, what he just always sees Washington in, like, this glowing light. But anyway, so I thought that was really interesting. He becomes, and when he, and he will become more and more abolitionist, like as his life continues. So, by this point, people are like, okay, you know, everyone's kind of ticked off at the French king, 787. He gets a bunch of nobles for some, come give him some advice. And Lafayette is the noble, so he is there. He's like, what are we going to do about this financial crisis? And he's like, how about, the king's like, how about these tax reforms? And Lafayette's like, you know what? Like, everybody should have a cent. And looking at French history, like, there wasn't a long history of democracy, because this was an absolute monarchy. Mm-hmm. So way back machine, he's like, you know, 175 years ago, <laughs> there was this thing called the States General, where the commoners and the nobles and the clergy all sent representatives to advise your majesty. Maybe you should do that. And everybody's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And the king's like, oh, I'm corrupt. <laughs> you know, but this idea like catches on. This meeting could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> so then, and this is still like fallout from El Volcano. 
there's this freaking killer hailstorm that like destroys all the crops and livestock. And people go from spending 50% to 90% of their income just to feed themselves. Wow. So they can't afford anything else. So all the people in the cities making everything else also lose their jobs because no one's buying. Mm -hmm. And people all look into the king like, okay, fix this. Now this king, to be fair to him, inherited the throne when he's just 19. And he just wanted to be a clock maker. But he's king. So he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, so... <laughs> There's this mounting, like, everyone's like, hey, this estate's general thing will solve all our problems if we all just get together. Mm-hmm. Now, traditionally, in the estate's general, the nobles basically got a third of the vote, the church get a third of the vote, and the commoners get a third of the vote. And, like, the commoners are, like, 25 million people, whereas the nobles and churchmen are only, like, 500,000, so they're kind of like, Maybe we should get double numbers and then it's 50 50. He says, Okay, you can have double numbers. But when they actually meet, he's like, But you still just count as one third of the vote. So they're kind of like, Okay, this thing's rigged. <laughs> so the commoners like, We're just going to kind of form our own national assembly and y'all can join us if you want. And the king walks them out of the building. So they go and meet in the tennis court. <laughs> And take what's called the tennis court oath. Then they will keep freaking meeting until they have a constitution. (laughs) So that is considered the actual beginning of the revolution. That they're kind of like, you know, we're just like, okay, screw that king. We're going to have something with the constitution. Well, he kind of caves because, you know, he kind of was like, okay, fine. We have a national assembly, whatever. That they're okay. At this point, most people are like wanting a constitutional monarchy, not like a republic like in America. And Lafayette never gives up on this idea that you can have this democracy and a king and it'll all work out in the end, we'll all get along. Mm-hmm. And he just never gives up on this, despite all evidence the contrary. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, part of it like, feels bad for him because he's just very dedicated to this idea. Because it feels repeatedly, he never seems to realize, like, that's not going to work. So, anyway, so that's kind of a thing. Well, that seems to placate people at first. But remember the guy that cooked the books? The finance minister, the king, it's like, you suck because you cooked the books and I'm going to fire you. And the people are like, we like that guy. <laughs> I'm just like, when is France going to burn down? <laughs> oh, here it comes. Okay. So the people in Paris start grabbing all the guns. There we go. <laughs> I got my gun. Okay, so they need gunpowder, and it's all in this fortress called the Bastille. So they go and raid the Bastille to get the gunpowder. And they pull out the commandant, and the guy in charge, and they're like, what should we do with them? And he, like, just kicks someone right in their nethers, and then they stab him to death. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, well, at least he went down fighting. Escalated <laughs> quickly, right? Okay, but people are like, hmm. <laughs> so the revolutionary people are like, hey, you know what, Parrish? Like, we don't trust the king and his army. We should have our own national guard. So guess gets who elected to command it. Lafayette. <laughs> and he's like, you know, we can all get along. And he gets the National Guard's blue and red little badge they wear 
And he's like, you know, let's add the king's white to it. See, doesn't look nice. We're all friends. <laughs> Here, king, put it on. The king's like, yeah, I don't want to die. Give me that. And he's putting it on. He's like, yeah, you're the head of the guard. Like, that finance manager can come back, whatever. Like, I don't want to die. He's, he's like, yay, you know, long live the revolution, whatever. I'm king. Now, his, the king's brother and other nobles are like, okay, we see where this is going. And they literally, like, flee the country. Oh. And the king stays. And the conspiracy theory gets worse. Because people are still starving, and they still think there's a famine pact. And all these villages, the king just fled the country. But his wife, Marie Antoinette, is an Austrian princess. And the people can become convinced the king's relatives are trying to get the Austrians to come invade France and kill them all to, like, get rid of democracy and make him actually king again. Mm-hmm. And they really hate her. <laughs> like, because, remember, in that earlier war, Austria had been one of had sided with the British. It's like they've never liked her anyway. <laughs> so it's just this conspiracy theory is really getting out of control. And so here's this new legislature, National Assembly, and they get rid of feudal rights, they get rid of tax exemptions, all these nobles, they get rid of tithes for the church. They outlaw serfdom, which is like an easy sell because no one's had serfs in hundreds of years at this point. So they're like, it looks good. And they adopt the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen, which is written by Lafayette with help of his friend, Ambassador Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And if you read this, it sounds like parts of it sound very similar to another document you're probably more familiar with. And I'm not even going to tell you because if you can't figure out, like, just go away. <laughs> <laughs> it has this interesting stuff in it about, you know, like, everyone's equal. But in this new government, it turns out only a few rich people are actually going to be allowed to vote. Of course. So, anyway, even though this is pretty tame, the king's like, yeah, I'm not signing that crap. The people are still starving. And this is the part, okay, this is actually the chapter title. I actually got this from the guy that wrote the biography I was reading, The Angry Housewives. <laughs> There's a bunch of starving, angry housewives, and they marched out to the palace to, like, take out their vengeance on the royal family. Wow. And this is called the Women's March on Versailles. So the National Guard that Lafayette is in charge of is like, you know, we should follow them and make sure the king's safe. Lafayette's like, I, I don't think y'all should do that. Like, we're going to go with or without you. He's like, okay, fine, we'll go. And they go there, and these women break into the palace, and, like, the king and his family are, like, hunkered down, and here comes the National Guard, like, come with us if you want to live. We are your bodyguard now. But you can't stay in the palace. you got to come back with us to Paris for your majesty's safety. It's like, okay, and Lafayette's like, you better do it or they're going to freaking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, okay, fine, we go. You know, so. And Lafayette, at this point, feels like, I, I did it. I got the king to come with them. You know, I've, I've I made peace in our time. <laughs> <laughs> and that, no, he hadn't. So, um, after they storm that fortress, like, a year later, they're like, we should make the anniversary of that a holiday. 
wouldn't that be fun? The king's like, okay, fine, that's fun. I'll, I'll go to this holiday. And he's there in Lafayette, gives this big speech. He's like, I take an oath to the king and to the constitution they're writing. And the king's like, yeah, me too. And he's thinking, I don't mean that. But Lafayette does mean it. Mm-hmm. And so long story short, the king tries to run away from France. And Lafayette's National Guard is supposed to be keeping him in Paris. So they get blamed by their enemies who are like, screw the king, we want a republic. And Lafayette gets accused of being a traitor. And the king tries to escape, but it turns out his face is on coins and people recognize him. <laughs> he gets caught. Like, I, like everything, like, it's you just, just like, can't blend in. You can't blend in when your face is on money. <laughs> So these more radical Republicans are like, you know, I, I like Lafayette's head should roll. And he's like, oh, mm, mm. like, maybe not so popular as he used to be. Mm-hmm. But he's still got supporters and he's still an officer. Anyway, the National Assembly is kind of like, no, like, King still gets to be the king of the Constitution. And these radical Republicans are like, what? You know, like, he just tried to. And they're convinced he's trying to run off to Austria to try to kill them all. Uh-huh. So you have these 50,000 Republicans, because they're people that want a king, and they gather in the field of Mars. So I call this part Red Mars. And this is the part of Paris where today you have the Eiffel Tower, which doesn't exist yet back then. Uh-huh. And they're all signing a petition to get rid of the king. And Lafayette comes with his guard. People start stoning the guard. Someone shoots a gun trying to assassinate Lafayette, and the guards shoot back. And most historians think there's maybe like 40 people killed, but Lafayette's enemies and their newspapers are like, he killed 400 people. (laughs) (laughs) So rioters attack his house. The government declares martial law. Lafayette's thinking maybe this isn't going as well. Maybe it'll be okay because the assembly's like, all right, we did it. Here's the constitution. King's like, okay, fine, I'll sign it. Yes, we're constitutional. Yes, okay. Lafayette is now stationed on the frontier, planning an army. And this new government's like, you know what? We're not going to let the king get the Austrians to invade us. We're going to just declare war on them. (laughs) Anyway. Like, hey, we'll make this happen, this thing we're afraid of. And the Austrians say, hey, y'all do anything to the royal family there in Paris. We're going to burn down Paris. Which just make the Parisians more convinced that their king is in cahoots. Yeah, that just totally reinforced the conspiracy theory. (laughs) So they stormed the palace where the king's being kept prisoner and have him arrested. But they were just supporting the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So they should have just been like, you can kill him. We <laughs> don't don't kill her. So this point, everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, forget the king. The Republican faction takes over, led by a guy named Danton and another guy named Robespierre. And Danton puts out an order to arrest Lafayette. He's like, he's a traitor. So they see him as too friendly with the king. And Lafayette runs off to Austrian territory, trying to find a ship to the U.S. But the Austrians arrest him. Like, we'll set you free if you will tell us secrets about the French army. 
And he could have had his revenge, but he's like, no, I'm not going to betray my country, even though they're trying to freaking kill me. So they put him in prison for years. Mm-hmm. And his wife uh, gets arrested, since their son, little George Washington, him dying. Um, all his property is confiscated, including the estate where, you know, they wanted slaves to be free. And he ends up in prison for years. So, France is a republic now. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And he's in prison, and they guillotine the king, and they guillotine um, the queen, and they guillotine Lafayette's mother-in-law. And his wife's probably going to be next in the block. But... James Monroe is the ambassador to France this time. His wife goes to visit Mrs. Lafayette's prison to show that they're friends. Mm-hmm. The French are like, we don't really like to take Lafayette in our prisons, so they don't kill her. No. So yeah. she survives. <laughs> and the good thing maybe out of this, and it's not necessarily done for good motives, but the Republic does abolish slavery in the Empire. That's like a whole other story. It's not for good reasons, but I mean, it's still a good thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Congress is like, we should help our buddy Lafayette. And we don't want to take off the French. But you know, he did serve in the general for years. Let's vote him $24,424 in back pay. Which, that's a lot more money back then than it would be today. <laughs> so his family's not too destitute. Okay, so this is where you get the Great Escape plan. It sucks. So, and I have not watched Hamilton, but Hamilton's sister-in-law is a major character, Angelica. And she and some other Americans and some French nobles are like in France. We're like, we got to bust our buddy out of prison. So they hire this German doctor to go rescue him. And he recruits this doctor from South Carolina. And they get some horses. And like Lafayette's in prison, but like people are taking him out in a carriage to get some air every day so he doesn't, you know, die. <laughs> and they actually get him out of the carriage. They get him on a horse. But like he goes the wrong direction and gets captured. And both the doctors get captured and they all end up in prison. <laughs> so like this part was like I was like, you couldn't make this up. Like this is like a Mel Brooks movie or something. <laughs> I'm just like not like the best moment, but I don't know. That was like one of my favorite parts because, like, it just seems like it means so well. <laughs> I don't know. That was one of my favorite parts, honestly, because I was just like, what the heck? And even though these doctors fail, like, they both they literally go to America and they're like, we tried to rescue Lafayette. They become like minor celebrities just for trying. <laughs> well, anyway, so his wife, after he was from prison, she sends her son to America to live with his namesake in the presidential mansion in Philadelphia. This is pre-White House days. Uh-huh. He goes to Harvard, and so George is living with little George. And, um, the wife and her daughters, they go to the Emperor of Austria. They're like, can you go live with my husband in prison? He's like, okay. What? <laughs> well, I mean, they get to be together as a family. Well, yeah, but... And, I mean, when you, I mean, think about, like, it's either go live with your husband in prison or stay in France where people want to freaking kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, they can't get to you in prison, I guess. <laughs> so 
So the family's mostly together mm-hmm. in prison. <laughs> All right. So well, they're probably getting three hots and a cot. So yeah. <laughs> but the Austrians get defeated in the war by a new general on the scene, named Napoleon. Mm. And so under the terms of this treaty, Lafayette is released from prison. He's like, thank you very much, Napoleon. That your government sucks and I don't recognize it and I will not return to France. <laughs> <laughs> and so he doesn't. He just like stays in the places in Europe. And the government's like, okay, well, fine. We're going to like strip you of all your citizenship and rights and everything and sell all your properties and blah, blah, blah. Well, they get theirs because Napoleon's like, you know what? Y'all guys need to go. And I'm going to become the ruler of France. And Lafayette sneaks back into the country. And Napoleon's like, you stay out of politics and I won't kill you. <laughs> He's like, okay. He just stays in the country. Does Lafayette ever come back to the United States? He does. Okay, good. <laughs> but, like, this is a lot of information. Washington I, dies. Okay. And Lafayette, and, like, Napoleon doesn't even let him go to the funeral. Oh. His, his adopted buddy. His dad. Yes. His, his daddy figure. Napoleon's like, you know, you could be ambassador to the U.S. Lafayette's like, no, I don't want you to write you. And there's this vote. 99.76% of voters are like, Napoleon should be ruler forever. And Lafayette's like, no. <laughs> and Napoleon pisses him off more by, he's like, let's bring slavery back. Hmm. Then in America, Jefferson's like, I'm going to buy Louisiana. Hey, you want to come be governor of Louisiana? And he's like, I like that, that France is going to pot. I need to stay here. <laughs> so, like, he could have been happier, I think, if he had just left. Mm-hmm. Napoleon's like, you know what? I'm in for now. And Miss Lafayette dies. She's really young. So, it does not seem great. But then, like, all the other countries in Europe come and beat the crap out of France. And Napoleon has to abdicate. And these other countries are like, we don't like democracy. Y'all are going to have kings again. Okay. So you have another king, and they move. And they're like, you know what? Just 90,000 men get to vote. Lafayette's like, I've seen how this works. This is not going to work if we don't let people vote. And they're just like, nothing bad will happen. Napoleon escapes from prison, comes back, becomes emperor again, loses Waterloo. Like, because the people are like, you know, screw that. We like him better than y'all. But he loses Waterloo, so Lafayette's like, hey, Napoleon, go live in the United States. But the British are like, no, we're going to go up to our little bleed island. And Lafayette's like, you know what will still work, I bet? If we have a constitution and a king. <laughs> they don't even know what they want over there. They no. don't. There's like multiple <laughs> factions just like killing each other constantly. So Lafayette does get one last happy chapter. Like, President Monroe's like, it's the U.S.'s 50th birthday. Come visit. And he gets to go to an African free school where he meets, like, um, this 11-year-old student who gives a speech of honor. He's, like, the first African-American to ever get a medical degree in NASA. He gets to go to, he meets the, um, the gentleman who he had helped free and who had mm-hmm. taken his name. Like, they get to meet. He goes to, like, see Fayetteville and Washington's grave. Mm-hmm. And it's like he, you know, everyone's like, you know what? 
by this point, everyone's like, all these other founding fathers have been involved in American politics. They're a little tarnished. But you're just some French guy, and you don't care about French politics, and we all freaking love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he's finally kind of happy, you know, that he has to go back home. And Congress is like, here's $200,000 and a deed to some property in Florida so that, you know, you have money. And he goes back home and you go through several more rounds of kings and revolutions and kings and revolutions. And he just keeps hoping How it'll work. How old is this dude? At this he's point? old at this point. He's, he's, he's born in 1757 and he dies in 1834, age 76. Wow. So he, well, American Revolution, he's like a teenager. So yeah. He goes through a lot. Well, 76 is a pretty good age for that time. Yeah. Right. So he keeps saying, you know, like, and he, one last time, he's like, let's try this one more time. There's this other guy named Louis, and he'd be a good king, and I'm going to give him my blessing. And he'll go with constitutionalism. And yeah, no. <laughs> so he ends up speaking out against him publicly. And, but he dies before that loser gets overthrown. So, of pneumonia. So he never gets to see France finally end monarchy. Mm-hmm. And he probably would have enjoyed that, because this is my favorite part. Napoleon has a nephew also by Napoleon who takes over and becomes an emperor. So, like, it, like France just has a... There's, like, a long period before they get to anything stable. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, like, much more complicated than uh-huh. our revolution in a lot of ways, because mm. it just never seems to freaking end. Yeah. yeah. Nobody ever really wins and stays in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in 1848, when they finally get rid of the king, and the newspapers are like, hey, France got rid of the king. Literally all of Europe erupts into, like, revolutions. Oh, uh, because everybody wants the same thing at that point. Right. They're uh, all sitting around waiting to see what happens in France. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So, like, so, like, you can track it, like, as the newspapers come, people are like, okay, King's got to go. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's, it, this is called the springtime of nations, because this is when, like, a lot of, like, Italy's, like, starts fighting for independence, and Germany starts getting united, and all these things. They're all like, you know, his France goes, we're all going to go. Yeah. So he, it's weird he sets in to play a lot of, like, emotions. Um, a lot of emotions, I think. But I, I, I kind of know, I don't know how to feel about it in the end, because it's frustrating to me that he never realizes that constitutional monarchy's not going to work. <laughs> he just keeps trying. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I'm so glad that that's what you think about, because I'm just thinking about that's why is that why Louisiana has their French heritage, is because of him, or is it because in, of in part? I mean, okay, the, like going back to when Washington starts that war, it, they're fighting over like what's like Ohio, Louisiana, because that had been French territory and the British wanted it. Okay, so you said Ohio, which like is way up Ohio River Valley, and, Louisiana, and Louisiana. Louisiana, right. which is way down south. Louisiana was this t- giant yes. swath of land. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> it's actually a much bigger thing than just the little state. Yeah. And why did, I mean, where does this come into play? He gave him land in Florida. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, hey, I guess not that's wanted that much. <laughs> it's mostly okay. just so he could have, you know, some, some funds. He doesn't like live. 
I don't know. I'm just so disappointed that something big didn't happen in Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, like the actual Louisiana where New Orleans is. Because I know that there's a big French. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think that's good there. Because, okay, on his um, second tour in Prince uh-huh. of Morales Day, he visits all 24 states that exist at that time. Okay. Which actually makes him, like, better traveled than most of the founding fathers were. Okay. And that's probably why, like, there's places freaking named after him everywhere. Hmm. And he even like he even like goes he gets like swell from Bunker Hill he put on his grave and he dies. Oh yeah. Tell so me that again. He what? He he goes and gets like soil from Bunker Hill. Uh huh. And then he takes back to France oh. and it's on top of his grave when he dies. Interesting. It's like he's I don't know he's he's always he never like loses his just love affair with America. Uh huh. I mean, he gets buried with dirt from America and France. Mm-hmm. Right. That's ridiculous. Well, and it sounds like he has a a grand vision. Mm-hmm. He does. But it's, you know, idealistic or something. It is. I think to me, like, the, the biggest thing is, like, once he and people, his social status get their vote, he's like, we did it. Revolution's over. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't, like, most of them don't realize, like, you can't have like you know five six the populace not going. We're talking about men. It's like women mm-hmm. don't get to vote for like another hundred years either. Are not going to be satisfied with like we help you with this revolution. Why can't you vote? Yeah, mm-hmm. and like that doesn't end well. And you don't have universal male suffrage or an end to slavery in France until 1848 after he got this. Well, I think it was a, an important stepping stone because I it think is. they had to go through all that before they came to. Yeah, and it's like another hundred years, like it's like the nineteen forties when women finally get to vote. So yeah, in a way that is like American history was this very slow and painful expansion of the electorate that yeah. happened. So go back to King Louis. What king was he? Okay, so because there right. was one king that built Versailles, and I thought that was That's King Louis, Louis the Fourteenth. The 14th. Okay. Right. So which Louis okay, the, was this one? The one that gets executed, okay, because that's it's the 16th. Okay. And then there's like... But it sounds like there were a lot of other that between there are. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, yeah, well... Okay, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think Louis the 14th's like grandson here's the throne, and his grandson here's the throne. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it is like 14, 15, 16. Okay. And there's just some younger dads who kind of die off. Of course, some old granddads, but mm-hmm. I'm remembering it right. I'm not coming on that. And like, even the very last king, he's like, I'm Louis Philippe. Why are you Philippe? I'm different. It's just like, you never run out of Louis in yeah. French history. Yeah, I don't so. know. There's, and then there's like, I think there's at least 10 Charleses in French. I don't know. Once, once royalty gets a name, they stick with it. So probably like his most enduring legacy, I would say, is that declaration he writes, which to this day is part of the French constitution. Oh. The one that he the wrote. The Declaration with... of Rights and Men. Yeah. But, but I think that's interesting because like even the like Thomas Jefferson's declaration is not technically part of our constitution. Mm-hmm. But then the French are like, yeah, we're, we're putting that in our constitution. It sounds good. <laughs> so I think that to me is like... But the thing that I think is so interesting is in American history, like, people, like, love him. In French history, people are, like, kind of don't. <laughs> like he was a troublemaker, maybe. I mean, he wasn't really a troublemaker, but, yeah. They see him as a compromiser. Because, like, mm. from the conservative side, he's, like, they're, like, why did you team up with these revolutionaries? And mm-hmm. revolutionaries are, like, 
why are you siding with the king? Mm-hmm. So then, like, everybody kind of hates him. <laughs> well, that usually happens with most ingredients, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Middle management. Middle management. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. wait a minute. <laughs> um, wait a minute. What, what are you implying, Don? <laughs> I'm trying to think, am I middle management here? I wasn't even thinking about you. Mm. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um... Y'all are going to shave me pretty close, huh? <laughs> Smart ways. No. Well, I hope that was kind of fun. It was interesting. And yeah. I think it's fascinating that he hunted monsters and he was just so gung-ho to mm-hmm. protect his family. Well, family seems... Okay, that's one thing, like, he seems to form familial bonds very deeply, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing, like, like once, like... Either he hated you or he freaking loved you. Mm-hmm. Like there was like no middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> like Hamilton and Lawrence and like Washington, like he thinks of them his family. Mm-hmm. He just does. And I don't know. He's very all of his correspondence with people, he like he he does not have any problem emoting. Mm-hmm. But I know like one thing a lot of people call me odd is that it's kind of an unusual though, is that Washington was usually more stoic. Mm-hmm. But he's much more comfortable, like verbally and physically, like being affectionate. It's like he does kind of like almost think of him as like his kid. Okay. So like, a lot of soldiers he would not let touch him in public, and like yeah. this guy can like come hug him and kiss him on the cheek. What did like, uh mm-hmm. What did George Washington think of George Washington? I mean, I didn't come live with him, so I don't know. I didn't really like read up a lot on that, but. Mm. I guess he liked him. I hope so. What oh. about was it Mary Washington, his wife? Wasn't that his wife? Um, Martha. Martha. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I don't really know what she thought of him. That would be interesting. Like, mm-hmm. so why do we have this kid and after you coming to live in <laughs> our house? Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it was. Not anything, but who knows? Lafayette may have wanted it to be, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it's really hard, like in history, because for someone you have such taboos and that kind of stuff, that mm-hmm. people seldom like spell it out, even in correspondence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, probably especially in correspondence. Yeah, because yeah. that can like be used against you. Yeah. Especially like they're literally shipping things over the Atlantic. Anyone can. You know, oh yeah, like, yeah. Somebody's going to be like, "I'm going to read this letter." <laughs> it's, it's from George Washington to Lafayette. Hmm, like, yeah. And again, he has. They both have lots of enemies. Now, I know I didn't really get into that, but like, there is like kind of an attempt in revolution by a bunch of other officers to replace Washington, mm-hmm. and they try to get Lafayette to like, "We'll give you your own army," and he's just like, "I'm sticking by my guy. Like, mm-hmm. don't go hang." Yeah. So that's one of the reasons like Washington, I think, really likes him. Because he stuck with him over promotion, mm-hmm. and I know like some other things I didn't talk about. Like there's at least I think twice when the French are like, "You want to be dictator?" And he's like, "No." Uh-huh. But he sticks to his. That only thing I remember, like he turns down power repeatedly for his principles. Yeah, and like that part was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I somehow feel about him like just like. I mean, I know he's a teenager, but just like running off to war without even telling his wife. Oh yeah, just ghosting his wife. Like, hey, <laughs> and she has to like learn it from. 
was kind of, I mean, women were important, really, in those days. He impresses his mother-in-law. She's like, he finally shows his spine. And I kind of wonder if she's just glad someone finally stood up to her husband. That's <laughs> uh, what I was wondering, because she's like, uh-huh. she's like, you should be happy. Your husband finally showed some spine and did something of his own. Uh-huh. So his mother-in-law likes him. But of course, she gets to be a teen. But I guess a lot of people get to be a teen in this story. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So I definitely had a lot of fun researching this. I did not know. I, I knew some of this, but I did uh-huh. not know a lot of it. Yeah. And his life's kind of crazy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, sounds interesting. Yeah. So what book do you have there? All right. So this is a recent publication from the New York Times bestsellers list called Hero of Two Worlds by Mike Duncan. came out in August 2021. Oh, wow. That is recent. It is recent. And, um, of course, Lafayette's also kind of kind of working with a lot of people because of the Hamilton musical. Okay. Especially during COVID, Disney Plus put it on, and a lot of people were stuck in their homes and watching it. Okay. So I think that's also kind of helped him kind of revive on interest in mm-hmm. him yeah. in recent years. Hmm. I did not watch that. It's pretty fun. <laughs> it is. It's like really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It has a lot of. It has one of my favorite songs about Washington. It's like here comes the general. I know. Yeah. And my brother like. There's this song about okay Hamilton's wife, her sisters, and they sing. My brother goes around singing it all the time, <laughs> and like, and how much? Well, it's like it's like Eliza, Angelica, and Peggy. And when I hear that part, like I'll always like pop my head out of the door and like just insert some random name. Just to like, <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know, to make him laugh. But, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, my brother and I watch a lot of musicals together. Oh, cool. So I've heard the songs for this multiple times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like it. He probably does that so that you don't interrupt him and make him laugh too. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to confess to anything. I raised that child on musicals. Like mm-hmm. when he was in elementary school, he already had all the words to fit it all through <laughs> soundtrack. Wow. wow. <laughs> Well, there you go. Mm. Well, that was very enlightening, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> did you have fun, though? <laughs> I did enjoy it, yes. Thank you. I we learned some things. It was very interesting. I learned some thoughts about how Don feels about middle management. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot, and I don't know how much I'll retain. Um, That's okay. I, I, I think I'll retain um, that the French went through a lot of revolutions. They did. And I meant like, that's definitely one thing I learned like studying this. It's like, they, it, it just, it plus it's like deja vu. You're like, you know, King, Republic, Emperor Napoleon, King, Republic, Emperor Napoleon. Like, I mean, like if, if this was like fiction, you think like, can you not think of an original plot? <laughs> like, no, they can't. Mine's the cricket. <laughs> I knew you would like that part. Like <laughs> where I found that part, I was like, I was like, I've got to include that because I knew that would be your favorite part. And I don't, I'm like, because one of those animals, I'm kind of curious. Like, was it really a lion? And there are like some crazy explanations people come up with for that. Like, mm-hmm. one guy's like, well, maybe this guy trained his dog to kill people. He dressed it up in a boar costume, and I'm just like, okay, you're really just. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
She's like, that's very overly elaborate explanation. <laughs> like, maybe just people made it up, or uh-huh. it was an escape lion, or, you know, like a wolf with bad hair day. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. but I, to me, I, I do think that's, I mean, like, cryptids are like a modern phenomenon. Like, people right. have, for a long time, had panics about animals that kill people or remember to keep people or mm-hmm. they don't recognize what it is. I'm yeah. I'm sure we're gonna have a cryptid episode sooner or later. Another yeah. yeah. But I, I think that this one's gonna be Yes, yeah, this one's pretty good. I, I do like that we, we story. Should, we should do more foreign ones. <laughs> yeah. More foreign cryptids. Kind of like Yeah, I think we've exhausted all the, <laughs> the ones here. Sorry, I'm thinking I'm that's why I got thinking of ideas. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of fun cryptids in medieval, like beast war. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, most people, okay, that, that is well before Zeus. And like most people, even if like relatively modern times, like most most Europeans have never actually seen an elephant or a rhinoceros, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And they just read these descriptions of them. Mm-hmm. And, like Europeans read descriptions of rhinos. And that's where you get the origin of unicorns. So they're like trying to draw what they're reading about. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's how far off they got. That's <laughs> I mean, really interesting because like, I never knew what a unicorn came from. It's the so Latin word for that, rhinoceros. It's a what? It's Latin the Latin word, word for rhinoceros oh, originally. And they're trying to draw, you know. So <laughs> all these little kids that come in and I want a book about unicorns. They really want a book about a rhinoceros. A sexy rhinoceros. Sexy. Yeah. Wait, they want the rhinoceros that was on Alex's Christmas sweater. <laughs> I, I had a rhino on my Christmas sweater. You did. Santa was riding oh, it. Oh, Santa was riding that rhino. And that's what that was. That yeah. rhinoceros. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Chrissy <laughs> has a bunch of rhinos on her Christmas sweater, too. I gotta let her know. There's a long convoluted story. This is actually why unicorns were mentioned in like some English Bibles. Is because like there's a word in Hebrew that means wild ox, and in Latin they mistranslate it like they think it's a rhino, and so in Latin that's unicorn. In the English Bible, it's just like unicorns. Nice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have to point that version out to me. Cryptids often have origins you might not expect. They're, yeah. But then it's just kind of like people just, you know, they didn't have National Geographic. Uh, <laughs> <somebody> yes. <laughs> they didn't have National Geographic to show them what these animals look like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This has been the Long Overdue Podcast, coming at you from the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. Thank you.